Hey everybody, we've got a bit of a special edition of Overdrive Radio for you this week. There's a guest host of sorts who's going to walk us through a conversation with Chase Barber, co-founder of Edison Motors. If his name sounds familiar, you may have read Overdrive executive editor Alex Lockie's reporting on some of what Barber's been doing with the diesel-electric concept that's similar to the way locomotives work. With an onboard diesel engine serving only to charge, in this case, a lithium-ion battery with huge horsepower and torque capability to power, in the case of his prototype, a beautiful and beautifully tough 1969 Kenworth he calls, simply, Old Blue. Log hauler, writer, and podcaster Gord McGill recently drew out more of Chase Barber's company's origin story and plenty about just where his electric drive trucks stand to be best applied. Here's Gord McGill introing his own podcast. Sometimes you're driving down the road all by yourself. You begin to hear a voice that tells you you need to look around, pay attention. Maybe something isn't quite right. That voice is me. It's the voice of Gord. It's the voice of Gord. If you're searching around for the podcast on most of the major platforms for listening out there, that's G-O-R-D with the R in parentheses, as it were. I'm Todd Dills, your host as usual for this special edition featuring these two fine gentlemen. Gord's roots, like Chase Barber's, are in Canada, though McGill now calls the United States home. As noted, Barber's Edison Motors has been making a name for itself by taking advantage of big strides in battery technology to repurpose something of an old general concept for new purposes, with big potential and a variety of applications. It's not exactly a hybrid diesel-electric in the manner of much of the hybrid technology in cars today, though, as he told McGill. Basically, your trucks are a big Toyota Prius, in a way, in a manner of speaking. Um, it's... Technically, it's a little bit different than hybrid for legal purposes is hybrids are road tax exempt or not road tax exempt. Um, uh, And hybrids need to run their motor when the vehicle's moving like they need to run their uh, motor. It needs the motor needs to work with the batteries. The difference with uh, the diesel electric is it can run without the generator. If you took that generator out of the truck, It would make no difference in performance of the vehicle whatsoever. It is 100% able to operate completely off electric. It is just electric that carries around its own electrical power station. It is the best way to, it's not a hybrid, it's electric with its own power station on board. Over the road trucking benefits are not insubstantial in the form of fuel savings of say a potential five to 10 or more percent, but various vocational and or heavy haul applications the savings potential is generally much greater. There's some, perhaps non-obvious, benefits too. Here's McGill with a particular question for Barber. Edison Motors, your new company that you're building trucks with, are are you guys running into weird government stuff yet? Uh, yeah, absolutely. There's weird government things. We fall into a lot of gray zones, but they kind of benefit us so i'm not going to go into them before the government figures out that the gray zones benefit us there's certain things like well the ec uh you need to run e-logs if you have an ecm of a truck 
that's made not prior to 1999. Electric trucks don't have an ECM. Ah. And the way they kind of got around that is like, right now, electric trucks don't really require the e-log because their battery limits them. No, but now was... we put a diesel generator in there to recharge the batteries while the electric truck is moving. Now that is an auxiliary power unit, so there's no rule that says your auxiliary generator needs to have an ECM hooked up to an e-log. And there's also weird rules that like, because it's electric, it's obviously road tax exempt, electric vehicles don't pay road tax, and it's classified as an auxiliary power unit, no different than if it was a generator making power sitting at a power station, and generators are allowed to run dyed diesel. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's, that's one of those weird ones that I'm not sure if they find out about. So no, any truck driver listening, shut up about that. On the other side of a break, we'll jump into more from Chase Barber and Gord McGill on the recent edition of McGill's Voice of Gord podcast. Big thanks to McGill for allowing us to highlight it. So stay tuned. Now that winter's here, it's time to prepare yourself for the conditions you will encounter. By adding Howe's Diesel Treat at every fill-up, you can prevent your diesel fuel from gelling in even the coldest temperatures. While it safely removes water, adds lubricity, and prevents deposits, the nation's number one anti-gel will help protect your engine and provide you with the added power you crave. Backed by the only no-tow guarantee, Howe's Diesel Treat will keep you rolling no matter what weather comes your way. Learn more at HowesProducts.com. House, tested, trusted, guaranteed. That's H-O-W-E-S, HowesProducts.com. Here's Chase Barber starting his story of evolution through trucking to economics and back, on to power generation, and finally, to the 1969 Kenworth diesel-electric prototype. Well, after high school, I started driving out, driving, uh, driving a truck. Started out on like a little single axle snow plow, and then we moved over. I hopped into, a, got my full class one. And as soon as I turned like 19, like as soon as I knew I was going to be a truck driver. So as soon as I was old enough, I hopped in a truck, got my class one, and started hauling freight. Started hauling logs. I, I didn't, I loved it. And then I'm, but I decided I wanted to do long haul, so I drove all across Canada. Who'd you work, who'd you, who did you work for when you were doing the Cross Canada stuff? Uh, Valley Roadways out of Kamloops. Yeah. When, uh, uh, Landtran took it over is kind of when I left. I got to, uh, to actually go up there and do one season. <laughs> Yellow knife running. Uh, I got to do one load up into Contueto. Loop and oh. mine. But between the freight and getting back into logs, I went to university. I, I made that uh, made that choice. Oh, I wow. Had enough time. Yeah, I saved up a bunch of money, and the parents were pushing me, like, yo, go to university, try that out. And I thought, like, okay, like, I, I can't see, like, doing the long haul thing forever. Why don't I give it a try? I'm young, in my 20s, there's single girls at university, that sounds like a good time. <laughs> it sure <laughs> like, does. I, I, you know what, I could take, I could take six, eight months off of work and go chase some girls, and... But no, went to, went to school, and I immediately realized in school that... By year two, I still had a huge passion for trucking. I went back, drove truck in the summer, made good money. Went back, set uh, set up an elaborate system, a scheme in the university, but went back and went back to trucking in the second year and 
saved up enough money that I did really well in my uh, GPA that I got into a program where it was a work-study program for the United Kingdom. So I, I took advantage of that in my third year, flew over to the UK, got my HGV Arctic, and so that I could drive trucks over in the UK and England for a while. Nice! Came back, drove truck for like a year, because I was broke after going spending all my money in university in England and having a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so what school did you go to in Canada, and what were you studying? Uh, Thompson Rivers University, and I uh, took economics. I like knowing more about how businesses work and the whole finance thing on it, and I wanted to be uh, be a little bit more knowledgeable on the whole business aspect of trucking. And you actually got trucking in the UK? Yeah, I got a little trucking in over there. It wasn't a ton, but I got a little. <laughs> did, did did you just like stay on the island, or did you go to Europe as well? Oh yeah, yeah, I I, I drove all over mainland and. Honestly, it's, they have trucking really set up well over there compared to Canada. In what way? Their rest areas are like every 20 kilometers. You're all paid by the hour. I really like that all Europe, they mandated that you need to be paid by the hour. They said it was for safety. And I completely agree with it. Seeing the attitude in truck drivers that are paid by the mile or paid by the load compared to truck drivers that are paid by the hour. You hit construction, they slow down for the construction. They have no problem. They're paid hourly. They get a long wait time at a shipper. Well, no worry. They're paid hourly. You cannot compensate somebody for driving faster or being more aggressive. You have to pay them for all of their work time that they do over there. And they have lower accident rates per mile, and it's a lot more stress-free. <laughs> you know when they did the e-logs in the U.S., they found that accidents didn't go down. No, they went up. Yeah, and you know the opposite. why? Yep, because people were trying, they had to rush to make it. So driving faster, you have to make as many miles as possible in that time frame. And if you wanted to make your money or you get any delay, you got to make up the time. Well, you hit bad weather, you got to push through it. I think if the US and Canada really cared about safety, they'd do like what Europe does. You get paid hourly. They still have the tachograph, which is like our e-log, but get yep. paid hourly from as soon as your log starts to as soon as your log finishes, you get paid hourly for all the time, and it doesn't matter. You hit bad weather and you have to slow down to be safe, you slow down. You hit bad, you're still getting paid. Right now, if you hit a snowstorm and you back out of the throttle and you're like, well, I don't want to do 110 kilometers an hour in this snowstorm, I'm going to slow her down to 80, you get paid less for being safe. Right now, you're incentivizing people to go faster to beat the e-log. You're, you're incentivizing faster driving, more rush, pushing it pushing through the storm as fast as you can because your logbook's going to run out and that makes no sense and i think the problem is is that you get a few good companies they'll pay by the hour they realize the increased safety but then those companies right now in a free market if you study economics it have to compete against the companies that can pay by the mile that don't pay their drivers any extra it needs to be mandated by the government that when e-logs came in you need to pay hourly. And I normally hate saying government mandates, but if they're going to mandate that we have <laughs> e-logs and mandate how many hours to work, they should mandate that we get paid by those hours because then that stops cut rate companies from coming in, hiring a temporary foreign worker, giving them 20 cents a mile and then putting them in a truck. And you're like, oh, by the way, it's not paid load time, not paid anything. Like the good companies have a hard time competing. What's the what's the genesis of Edison Motors? You 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 go to school, 
you uh you did you finish did you get your degree in economics i did i did all and, right uh, i graduated with like a 4.0 not oh not, wow good not to you. really brag here but it, it sets the context <laughs> of why i got so angry uh, and went back into trucking so the, the, I mo- did... the, the very modest canadian truck driver right here yeah oh yeah yeah you know <laughs> but so I got a 4.0, straight A's <laughs> across the board in four years of university. Like, never got lower than an A. And I got second place in the Bank of Canada Economic Forecasting Challenge for my recommendations on quantitative easing. And after all that, four years of university, I got offered a job at the Bank of Canada for that second place. And the starting salary was $45,000 a year. I went moving drilling rigs one summer of university and i made over fifty thousand dollars moving drilling rigs in the summer as a truck driver in four months so in four months as a truck driver (laughs) i could make more than i could as an entire year living in ottawa with a four-year university degree and a straight a average so i said this is stupid this this whole thing was a scam four years of work and i'm gonna make less money than i did just working in the summer i would literally be better off moving drilling rigs and then not working the next eight months of the year yeah you're you're angry you're like the bankers want to give me this not good enough salary so you go you're like i'm gonna go back log trucking yeah and uh, i met a my good friend, and we became business partners in our fourth year of university. And I said, okay, Eric, I got an idea here. We're going to buy a truck. We went to business school. We'll buy a truck and we'll be trucking businessmen. <laughs> we <laughs> bought, we took the last of our student loans to, between us. I think we had like $10,000 and we bought a 1969 Kenworth five axle long logger that had been sitting in a guy's field for like 15 years. Our last semester of university, we spent all our days in the afternoons and weekends, like restoring and fixing up this old truck, changing the electrical, the airlines, getting the whole thing rebuilt, repainted. And we put this old truck on the road, sent that truck off to work and did logs at the very start. And then we got a contract through one of Eric's buddies for a mine that was up in the Yukon. So we head north in this old 1960s truck and hauling, uh, hauling ore out of Wolverine Mine up in the Yukon. People thought we were a little crazy, though, at, the, at that point when we were running up in the Yukon in a truck from the 60s. 40 below, barely has a heater. And we, well, we took that money we made and we bought a newer truck and had that second truck going. And then we bought another truck and... Then the mine closed down and we got stiffed on like the last few months of payment. They stiffed us on like $80,000. We just bought another truck. And like I went down to Grand Prairie and went back into the oil patch doing some low bedding. And then we got another winch tractor after a little while. And But we got the opportunity to start doing generators and hauling some equipment that way. And then we were able to start installing them. We're like, okay, like we started looking and you're like, well, where's the money in this? We can haul it, but the guys making the money are the main contractors that they pick crane it off. They hire a crane, they place a generator down, they get people out there. I'm like, okay, these are guys are the ones that are making the real big bank here. And Eric had always been in me. We're always a nerd about solar and these things. And Eric was sitting there and 
I'll give it to him. That's my business partner. He came up with this way of making a hybrid system. He started looking at lithium batteries and he started thinking and we, we started doing the math and you take a diesel generator and that you put in a large battery bank and you let that battery take the peak load demand. You put in a bunch of solar, the solar maintains it in the daytime. And we got our first break at a project that was way up near Fort Nelson for this tiny little first nations community. Like we, we begged and pleaded be like, can we, can we do the install? Can we, can we do a project? And what we, what they did is this one tiny first nations, they had a 90 kilowatt hour generator we went up, we resized the system to a 35, so down from 90 to 35, because what when we looked at their power usage, they had a huge peak load demand at 5 o'clock. Everybody would get home from work, turn on all the appliances, and it would take a lot of power for two, three hours, and then it would drop right back down to nothing. But they had to put in a 90 kilowatt generator to meet that peak load, but that means that they were always running 90 kilowatt hour, like a much larger size motor. Right. You're wasting a lot of wasting a lot of fuel doing that. Yeah. So the battery actually took the peak load demand. And then once we put the battery in, we realized we could put solar and the solar in the daytime would actually recharge the battery because everybody's out at work. Nobody's home in the daytime. There's very little power usage. The daylight energy can just recharge the batteries. That battery gave the peak load demand. And then the generator wouldn't fire up until nighttime. We build about $140,000 to go do that project. I think they saved $85,000 in fuel the first year alone. So it was like a year and a half payback. And that covered the cost of the solar, the battery, the new generator, just on the fuel savings that they would have spent anyways. We started doing solar and I started getting more and more frustrated with the, some of the trucks. Some of the ones we I bought this one truck and it was only two years old, but it spent more time at the dealership than it did on the road with fault codes and emissions and sensors and like just electrical gremlins we made a decision then and it was made in part due to a mechanic we had who we fired um so the gist of the story we fired our mechanic because he was selling cocaine at work sort of a long story short when that gentleman got out of jail after about a week the former mechanic came back used the key he still had to one of the company's trucks then to smash up that and two more trucks. And what followed was a bit of ingenuity born of, what else? Necessity on the part of the team at the company. I got lucky old blue that 1969 was parked at the house. Two, three years later, what he did ended up being a blessing for us. Everything said and done. And okay, so what was the blessing? And 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 so in the in the wake of this gentleman's low point in his life, and you know, I, I you know, we, we live in a, a civilization which is informed by Christianity and the idea that you can forgive and move forward, and that's that's great. So he he causes all this trouble for you. What? How did that end up working out well? Well, we started doing these energy projects and. When this happened, we decided to have a look. Let's take a step back and let's reevaluate where we want this business to go. We got an insurance payout. It's do we go rebuy the trucks, get these, get a, you know, another couple trucks running again, or do we go into more of the construction side? So we had that 69 Kenworth that was still a reliable hauler. I'm like, well, we can haul all the stuff we do. Like we're a new company in the energy space. 
We're not getting a ton of work, but the work we're getting is way more profitable than the trucking. Like, one job every three months is, like, the profit from the trucking. Like, okay, let's, let's go do that. And we moved back to where I was originally from, back to Merritt, BC. Um, we hauled, we went back and we, uh, yeah, we just basically kept old blue, put the money into developing the products, getting some patents. And then we became suppliers to Finning and Caterpillar. So we became their, we, we doubled, we really went hard into it and we managed to become the suppliers for Finning Cat. So all of Finning's solar hybrid projects in Western Canada, we do all their solar. So that ended up going relatively well. And we, well, we ended up getting another truck again because <laughs> it expanded and grew, but. And for I people who we... don't know, anybody who's listening at home, Finning is one of these like, uh, if you're familiar with like how Caterpillar or truck dealerships work, you'll have one company that'll own a whole pile of dealerships. Um, I believe Finning is one of the biggest Caterpillar dealer groups basically in Canada. Like they got in the beast. world. They, they got... are the largest de cat dealership in the world. They're Western Canada. They have South uh, America, uh, United Kingdom, England, Scotland is all Finning and they have a bunch in Africa. Yeah, and then we ended up getting a light tower. We made this solar light tower and one of our designs that we came up, I, I, I came up with this. I'm pretty proud of it, but we ended up going through the product testing and we got it licensed as a Caterpillar product. It was doing a project where I thought about it. I'm like, because classic trucks were always our passion there. And... I started thinking about it in the truck I was driving. I was actually driving old blue, that old 1969 Kenworth. And I realized that a truck is pretty similar to the way a, uh, a way a power grid works that ha has a huge peak load demand. When you're getting and building that initial inertia, getting the truck moving, you require a ton of power. Once you're up to speed, you don't require much power. And then you start looking at the advantage of electric motors, super high torque, incredibly efficient it's just the battery was the big killer and we tried to make a battery electric we looked at like i, I reserved a tesla semi i i, I believe in electric <laughs> yeah yeah no i know poor financial decisions had been made but uh yeah that was before we even like started the power systems like when we were like just kind of looking i reserved that tesla semi like five years ago like we're still in grand prairie moving drilling rigs at that point but yeah, I uh, I started thinking, I'm like, the batteries aren't there. Batteries are not going <laughs> to cover a logging truck or a heavy haul truck, even if the torque and all the power is there. So that 1962 Kenworth, it weighed 9,000 kgs before we started the project. When we were done, it weighed 8,800. So we lost 200 kgs by making it diesel electric. And then the government gives us an extra 1500. So we get 1700 kgs more in payload. So um, for people, so one of the things when I started looking into your trucks and like the first thing that struck me was like, this is a locomotive locomotive yes. locomotives, like big trains. That's exactly how they work. There's a huge diesel engine which drives a generator, which drives the electric motors that are attached directly to the wheels underneath the train, right? Yep. So like this concept that you're using is- It's not new. It's not new by any stretch of the word, but I'm just like, 
why didn't anyone like think about this? Was it like the lack of battery tech? Like what was preventing uh, somebody else must have thought of this? Uh, one of the big issues we actually dealt with, and I would say that it is due to the pioneering that like Tesla did do on their batteries that other companies have adapted, and it's the C rating on the battery. Uh, the C rating is the amount you can discharge. Say if you um, have a 100 kilowatts battery, if you have a 1C rating, you can discharge 100 kilowatts of power at a time, and that battery will drain over an hour. If you have a 4C rating, you can discharge 400 kilowatts of power out of that 100 kilowatt battery, which means it'll only last for 15 minutes, but you can discharge more power. So the big advantage there is on a freight train, the weight isn't an issue. They use large capacitor banks, which are incredibly heavy, but can take and discharge at almost an infinite C rating. And they would just flow into these large capacitor banks that was like, most of half of the weight of the locomotive and massive capacitors that they would discharge that energy or it'd be just direct drive motors with variable frequency drives. So what we did differently is by putting in that those 4C rated batteries, we could essentially put in a megawatt of drive motor power, a thousand horsepower drive motor with a very small battery because that battery can then give that peak load demand and it works at the, like the battery at full discharge for what our drive motors can take will deplete the battery in like 20 30 minutes but that's enough to more than enough at a thousand plus horsepower to get you up and moving if that well, yeah, rating wasn't there you wouldn't be able to do it i would need to put in almost a megawatt battery in the truck which would be 40 50 000 pounds basically your trucks are a big Toyota Prius in a way, in a manner of speaking. Um, it's technically, it's a little bit different than hybrid for legal purposes is hybrids are road tax exempt or not road tax exempt. Um, right. uh, and hybrids need to run their motor when the vehicle's moving. Like they need to run their, uh, motor. It needs, the motor needs to work with the batteries. The difference with uh, the diesel electric is it can run without the generator. If you took that generator out of the truck, it would make no difference in performance of the vehicle whatsoever. It is 100% able to operate completely off electric. It is just electric that carries around its own electrical power station is the best way to... It's not a hybrid. It's electric with its own power station on board. Uh, Your truck would have regenerative braking which is something that hybrid cars have and the idea being that if you're driving a logging truck specifically in bc you're in the mountains and there's a whole lot of potential energy from those logs hurtling down the hill that the truck is now harnessing to charge the batteries so that like when you run out of inertia rolling the truck the motor can then kick in and use the power generated from going down the hill to now keep it going do i have that that's correct right. yep that's actually why we reserved a tesla semi years ago was that basic principle and that logging in bc you're empty going up the mountain you're loaded coming down holding back that power is all wasted energy off that jake in region you refill your batteries you get to the mill you go back up the hill empty you could in theory run indefinitely off that stored logs and that's not just a theory 
there's a few places that are actually doing that. There's a mine up in Norway and another one in down in uh, South America that one is running an electric train and the regen on the train for holding the weight back of the iron ore recharges the batteries for the train to go back up the mountain. Another one is running haul trucks, electric haul trucks that recharge their batteries going down. The ore is at the top of the mine and where they dump is at the bottom. And it literally, these trucks produce more energy than they actually consume. And they need to have a snubbing unit dissipate the extra energy because it's literally more than this truck ever needs. They've been wow. running for like a few years and have never had to plug in or recharge. So a logging truck in BC is the same principle. Um, let's say you're not logging. Let's say we take an Edison Motors truck and we bang it onto a triaxle 53 foot reefer loaded with blueberries out of Surrey or somewhere in Abbotsford. Maybe we're going to head to Toronto with it and we get out past Calgary and now it's flat until you get to Ontario. What happens? No, you you really don't get much for fuel savings. You maybe get 5%. I, I, I tell people straight up, and I'm honest with them. It's not the application for it. it it's not. You can gear a truck pulling light, low, 80,000 pounds of freight on the highway that's all aerodynamic. You can get it geared to where it's just kind of running at that motor's peak RPM. And like those trucks tend to be a little bit slower off the line. They're not running 600s with 18 speeds. You know, it's... You're going to get some savings. It's going to be more efficient, but you might be getting 5, 10, 15% in that 5 to 15% fuel saving range. And that's cool. I get it. 5 or 10% on fuel is a big deal in the trucking business, dude. Like, I wouldn't sell yourself short. You know what? It is, but it's, it's, uh, like, we'll make them, but it's not the application that really can do the most good with this technology like it, it exists to help it'll help it but look at the heavy things like you are you're running thousand horsepower drive motors the torque is double the amount of torque of an x15 it's literally double a 550 x15's amount of torque and wow. almost double the horsepower like you want to be able to move heavy loads pull it putting it onto an 11 axle low bed that's where your advantage comes in when you got to get that much weight moving. Putting it on a vac truck makes sense. You know, like places that needed to run external power, we could run off that batteries. You could run a hydro vac for about three, four hours off the battery alone. That means no engine noise, no pollution from the noise on site as you're operating. Stop and go gravel trucks. Gravel trucks are often eight axle gravel wagons. Yep. They're stopping and going in city traffic all day long, pulling full 140,000 pound loads of gravel and stop and go traffic. That's where that regenerative braking, slowing the truck down, using a ton of energy to get it moving into the next light. That's where it makes sense. That's where you're going to start seeing that 50, 60% savings. Right. Logging, you're seeing 80%. But like, if you're, we can only build. We're a small company. We can only build so many trucks. I've had a few larger companies really reach out and I've had to tell them like, I'm sorry, pure later, but like, it's not the best showcase of our technology right now. We've got companies interested that like, they want to do the heavy haul, the vocational aspect, build a snow plow because it can do all the extra features electronically. And it's, that's where it's good at. The harder you work an electric truck, the better it's going to do. 
Mr. Chase Barber, everyone, of Merritt, British Columbia, and the nation up north. And there's a lot more where that came from and what amounts to a two-hour conversation mostly centered on his diesel-electric design with Edison Motors and potential uses, potential upsides, and various applications. A big thanks again to log hauler Gord McGill for lending his conversation to us for this one. McGill's host of the Voice of Gord podcast. Again, that Gord with the R in parentheses in the podcast title, if you're searching for it out there. You can find the podcast on most of the usual platforms where it's likely you're listening to Overdrive Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. I'll post links to it in the show notes and in the post that houses this podcast at overdriveonline.com slash overdrive hyphen radio. If you haven't yet, too, if you're enjoying these episodes, give us a review or a thumbs up out there on your platform of choice and subscribe. Here's thanks for that in advance. If you have any feedback, you can always get in touch via our podcast message line at 615-852-8530. Overdrive Radio is a production of Overdrive, the voice of the American trucker. It's edited and produced by me, Todd Dills, with the acoustic guitar and other support of trucker songwriter and Overdrive contributor Long Haul Paul Marhofer. The theme is Legend of the Snake Man by Marhofer, featuring the guitar work of Travis the Snake Man himself, Whammock, Terry Two Socks Richardson on bass, keys by Tishomingo Jim Whitehead, and on drums, Mr. Andrew Marshall. The podcast is backed up further by Overdrive's own news editor, Matt Cole, social media coordinator, Holly Young, executive editor Alex Lockie and video editors Lawson Rudisel and Mr. Andrew Gwynn. If you missed it, catch Long Haul Paul's entry in our Faces of the Road series that was all about Gord McGill with an interview conducted last year. You can find that at overdriveonline.com. Search Faces of the Road, Gord McGill. That's G-O-R-D-M-A-G-I-L-L. See you next time.